0: And that's it for another episode of High on Film. We love you, listeners. Well, goodbye. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast.
1: Another spectacular show.
0: I know. All, all these new episodes are
1: can't-miss classics. Yep, our listeners are so lucky.
0: So, what's on tap for
1: tonight? Uh, not much. Just gotta meet my insurance agent down by the train tracks. Gonna re-up the old auto policy.
0: Ah, uh, that reminds me. We never got podcast insurance Really
2: fucked us last time. Want to come with? Talk to my guy? That's the last time anyone ever heard Chris Maxwell and Brad Davis, podcastronauts, entrepreneurs, and philanthropists. Their mangled bodies were found by the train tracks. The insurance agent never showed. And the case is still open. I'm Karen F. Welcome to episode one of Murder Case.
0: From Los Angeles, California, it's High On Film. Tonight, we've got Atul Singh and Double Indemnity. They give you matches when you buy cigars. All you gotta do is ask for them on tonight's episode. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film Sobering Talk about Movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host for another week. Thank you so much for joining us because today we are kicking off a celebration of film noir with our Noirvember series. And it'll be a Noirvember to remember, certainly, because uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, a passion project of mine, uh, and uh, another gentleman who you'll be meeting very shortly, We have a podcast called Death at Sunset that is about to premiere. In fact, there's a trailer coming out this very Friday. How about that? So we're doing four film noirs over the next four weeks. And boy, oh boy, do we have a doozy today. Not only a doozy, a crime, a cold case on our hands. The likes we're all too familiar with because of the Oscar win of Green Book over Roma for Best Picture. Today we're watching Double Indemnity from 1944, directed by Billy Wilder, written by Billy Wilder and Raymond Chandler, from the novel by James M. Kane, one of the few screenplay credits Raymond Chandler actually has, and uh, a film that was nominated for seven Oscars and lost all seven, uh, three of which to a meandering, corny Bing Crosby pseudo-musical called Going My Way. (laughs) And that is a Oscar crime in my eyes, because that movie was boring and this movie is near perfect. Let's get to the man right to my left. He is the podcaster of disaster and the Brad Davis that God gave us. It's my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hi, Chris. Hey Brad, welcome. Happy to be here, as always. Yeah, oh, happy to have you. How do you feel about this? Have you seen Going My Way? Do you have you seen you've seen some Bing Crosby movies, yes? Yeah, I've seen some Bing Crosby movies. I have not seen Going My Way. Mm, You've made a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did not. You were not a fan. Uh, No, I was not. Especially once I found out that Double Indemnity lost three Oscars. The big three, too. Directing, picture, and screenplay to Going My Way. But uh, you've seen Double Indemnity before. I Not all the way through. This was the first time all the way through. Really? Yes. Oh, I did not know that. What would you think? Fun fact,
1: it's damn near perfect. It's so good, the dialogue yeah. is so quick and so smart, and the whole movie is extremely well done. I knew right. I, I knew it was a classic. I knew how revered it was, and it still floored me. Where do you put this on your Billy Wilder rankings? Up there with the apartment. Um, I love the apartment. This is. Uh, it's close. It, that, that's
0: a coin toss between those two for me. They're both... For so good top two. Yeah, nice. probably. Yeah, I, I think this might be my number one. Um, apartments up there, Lost Weekend's up there. They're all made around the same time. Uh, but let's get to our guest. We have a guest today, a very special guest. He's never been on the show before. We're so happy to have him. He's actually going to be starring in the new season of Death at Sunset, Home is Where the Plate Is. In that podcast, he plays Bob Duncan, one of the... Los Angeles Volcanoes baseball team announcers, Atul Singh is here. He's a very funny uh, actor and sketch comedian. Welcome to the show, Atul.
3: Hey, thank you. Thanks to both of you for having me. I appreciate it. This is going to be, this is great. I'm excited. I uh, Just from hearing your your start right there, I feel like my knowledge on films is going to be much less, which is good. I'm, I'm going to look at it as an opportunity and hopefully we'll be able to avail your insight on some questions I might have on all the names you've said so far
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes please uh ask away at your at your leisure as we go through the podcast uh i plan on bringing a lot of them up again um have you ever committed insurance fraud at all?
3: Um, no no uh, <laughs> okay I, I, here's the thing i i don't know if this is supposed i'm supposed to expound but I'll, I'll tell you this i i've never had great luck with insurance either but i know my sister once had her camera stolen off the top of a bus in Guatemala and she had bought it with an American express and American express after seeing the police report got a new camera.
0: Wow. So, okay. That's nice. Good plug for
1: American express.
3: Yeah. That's that's one of the sponsors, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. It's one of our sponsors this season. Yes. (laughs) They've come through in a big way for us.
0: And uh, yeah, it sounds like they have insurance agents like Edward G. Robinson plays in this one. Some really uh, justice-upholding, crime-sniffing insurance adjusters. Is that what they're called? Yeah, claim adjusters. Investigators. Investigators, yeah. All right. Well, before we go any further, uh, maybe the listener is not too familiar with this movie. Maybe they are, and they just need a quick reminder. We've prepared a movie trailer to give you a little once-over. Here it is.
3: Office memorandum. Walter Neff to Barton Keyes, claims manager. Los Angeles, July 16th, 1938. Suppose you call this a confession when you hear it. Well, I don't like the word confession.
0: In a world where insurance is sexy.
3: The insurance ran out on the 15th. I'd hate to think of you having a smash fender or something while you're not... uh... Fully
1: covered. And
0: dangerous. You'll we'll hang it just as sure as ten times we will buy a dollar. And I don't want you to hang, baby. And full of intrigue.
2: Well, Walter, I didn't do it and I'm not going to do it.
0: Not if there's an insurance company in the picture, baby. They you know more tricks than a carload of monkeys.
1: Walter Neff can't stop saying,
0: baby. I'm crazy about you, baby. I'm crazy about you, Walter. But when presented with the perfect crime by a married woman he once saw in a towel, he'll give up the good life at the drop of a hat.
2: Who needs a hat in California?
1: Phyllis Diedrickson wants a life insurance policy for her husband that he will never know
0: about. With Walter's expertise, they'll commit the perfect murder to cash in big. Murder's
2: never perfect. Murder. All this comes apart sooner or later. When two people are involved, it's usually similar.
1: Enter Barton Keys, the best damn claims investigator you've ever seen. Whose trade secret is. indigestion.
2: A little man in here. Every time one of these ponies comes along, he ties knots in my stomach. I can't eat.
0: They were smart. They were careful. They planned every detail. But would it be enough? Paramount
1: Pictures presents a story of burning passion and cold-blooded
0: murder. How can I have murder? can sometimes smell like honeysuckle. Fred McMurray, Barbara Stanwyck, and Edward G. Robinson. From the moment they met, it was murder. of a crazy story with a crazy twist to it. One you didn't quite figure out. Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity. And nobody's pulling
3: out. If we went into this together and we're coming out at the end together. It's straight down the line for both of us. that was amazing
0: oh thank you so much yeah yeah but brad and i put a lot of work into those and uh hopefully it sets everyone's mind in the in the world we're about to enter and now it's time for trash star destroy That's right. It's Trash Star Destroy, one of our favorite games to play on the podcast. We're going to give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to do one of three things to each one of those. One, you get to trash, which means eliminate it from existence. One movie you get to star in, in whatever role you'd like to take for your fragile actor ego heart. And a third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever existed has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of The Rock fame. RIP Sean Connery.
3: Yes. Much respect.
0: Much respect. Yes. Yeah. What
3: is- I, I, can I just say, take a moment right there and say, uh, I I always thought The Rock was an amazing movie. And I, I, I perform, I do uh, improv and, and stand up. And I've referenced that quite a bit in trying to, to kind of relate another joke or make an analogy. And the amount of times that references to The Rock have gone nowhere is uh, – <laughs> It's quite surprising to me. Uh, I remember once very specifically doing a Green Flares joke, which is a very specific part of the movie at the end where Nicolas Cage waves Green Flares. I thought, I was like, this is going to kill the audience. This audience is going to go nuts. (laughs) And uh, it's not the case. It's not the case.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. Brad and I must have not been at that show because I love The Rock. I think it is absolutely a masterpiece. Uh, and I, I feel like Brad and I also make a lot of jokes about it. I mean, it was only a week or two ago we were talking about, uh, well, that's you. You're the rocket man.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. And I would have got the green flares joke. To me, it's the audience's fault that you did everything right in that situation. The audience is to blame if they don't get that reference.
3: Brad, you, you don't know how many of my shows the audience is to blame
1: i
0: have i've been to some of your shows and i will say you you do better than you give yourself credit for <laughs> yeah you got a lot of dumb audiences i'm sorry Atul. <laughs> and we've been in a lot of them yeah we've been to a number of them yes all right uh trash to destroy let's do this is noir so let's do three film noir classics uh we'll do john houston's the maltese Falcon, starring humphrey bogart the movie we just watched billy wilder's double indemnity with fred mcmurray And Orson Welles' Touch of Evil, starring Charlton Heston. Maltese Falcon, Double Indemnity, Touch of Evil, Trash Star Destroy. Brad, you want to kick us off?
1: Absolutely. This is difficult. Now that I've seen Double Indemnity, uh, I think I have to star in that because of working with Billy Wilder, because that script is so damn good. What role I'm taking is the more difficult part. I think I'm taking Fred McMurray's role, even though he's yeah. terrific. I can't take Edward G. Robinson's role because he is t- so good in it and just chews up the scenery. And I I can play a str- more the straight man than I can play the Edward G. Robinson character. So I'm starring as Walter Neff in Double Indemnity, Touch of Evil, and what was the other one? A Maltese Falcon. Oh, God, I can't believe I'm... I didn't star in Maltese Falcon before this movie. It would have been a no-brainer for me to star in that movie. Well, you'd go
0: Bogart in that?
1: Probably. I mean, how can you not? How can you not? But under these circumstances now, I guess I am trashing Maltese Falcon because I don't want to see what Bay does with that. And I think Touch of Evil actually would play a little better into his hands than Maltese Falcon would.
3: It's, it's very interesting because the premise of this, um, I, I thought it would be to trash would be the worst to eliminate it, but the way it gets ranked is you rather see something die than hand it over to Michael Bay. Sometimes. It, it yeah. depends
1: on the circumstances, but yes, that's true. Sometimes you wish it wouldn't exist rather than allow Michael Bay to direct a version of it. Okay. So yeah. that's the way it goes sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I could easily star in any one of these. I think they're all three pretty fantastic movies. Agreed. Um, just to be different, I feel like, Brad, you and I have been agreeing on a lot of these recently. I'm just going to be a little different. I'll, I'm going to star in Touch of Evil. I'm going to work with Orson Welles. Uh, I'm going to take out Charlton Heston.
1: You're going to um, kill
0: him. I'm, I'm going to pry that role from his cold, <laughs> dead hands. <laughs> and uh, and I, it's going to be me, Orson Welles, and Janet Leigh uh, in a pretty masterful film noir. I'm very excited for that. And then I think I have to trash Maltese Falcon as much as I love it, just because I think I'd rather see Michael Bay tackle a love triangle insurance fraud. Um, I think it'd be really fun. You know, Mark Wahlberg and Megan Fox. Uh, if we can still get Edward G. Robinson in there, actually it's probably recast as maybe like John Taturo as Edward, Ro- Ed- Edward G. Robinson's oh, part. That's good casting actually for a yeah. movie. That's very spot on. Yeah. And I, I think that could, that could, work out pretty well. I mean, after all, Double Indemnity is almost remade as Body Heat, which is very much in a, a Michael Bay vein, I feel like. Oh, yeah, you have a naked woman walking around that movie most of
1: the time. That's right up Bay's alley. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, it was more, you know, a steamier, sexier version. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, <laughs> tomato. <laughs> Bay would love it. Atul, what are you going to do here? Uh, okay,
3: I, I haven't seen uh, two of these. And, but, but I did read a brief description and touch of evil starts with an explosion. Um, so immediately I was like, that's, I want to see a border explosion done by Michael Bay. Um, that seems like that's a whole b- bridge destroyed, right? People looking at it, cool shots of people looking at it from both sides of the border. I think he would nail it. The rest of the movie is fine. You know, you, you get through it. But the first 10 minutes, which would be the slow-mo would start there right at the start of the movie. At the, with the bomb with Mexican people seeing it and American people seeing it, and it's it would just be beautiful. Uh, so that gets uh, destroyed. Uh, Maltese fang, Falcon, I think I think it was Brad who said it, but yeah, I would just trash it to make sure it doesn't go to anybody else. Uh, and Double Indemnity, this is the one I was starring. The way I, I, I don't see myself often as leading people, I do see myself as like fly-of-the-wall characters who do a great job. And so in this movie, there was, there was the housekeeper who I just loved. I think she was on the screen for maybe two minutes and it was her presence was felt. And I was very excited. Uh, I was like, Oh man, I, I think I could do that really well. Uh, <laughs> also to what you've said, like the work everyone's doing is amazing. So I don't know if I can, uh, I like the role of Edward G. Robinson because I, I like math and I like actuary and I, I feel like he, when they had that, there's a line in there that talks about actuary. I was like, oh, somebody, you know, they wrote this and they did some research on what this person does and it's statistics. So I'd like, I would like that. But again, uh, the top three people uh, besides the wig were great, and uh, I, I wouldn't mess with them. So it would be, it would be either the maid, the housekeeper, or uh, possibly, I think it was Tony Sacchetti, Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, or,
0: yeah. Nino. Something like that. Nino. Nino. Nino.
3: Okay. And it was just like a fu roll. Uh, it was great. He was pissed off from the start to the end. I was like, great, no, no arc,
0: great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just, just the, one of many MacGuffins. Yeah.
1: You're so much more humble than me and Chris were. You're like, I'm going to be a small role because I don't want to mess up the flow of such a great yeah. film. We're like, I'm taking the lead. F it. I'm either going to be Bogart
0: or Charlton Heston. I don't know which one. <laughs> and Touch of Evil going to Bay. That Bay gets to work with Charlton Heston again, just like an oh, Armageddon. True. Just like an Armageddon. Wow. Yes. Uh, I think we have time for one more category. Let's do a uh, near-death narration. So a narrator, a spoiler alert, a narrator that is uh, at the end of the movie, dead or just about dead. Because of course, in Double Indemnity, Fred McMurray, Walter Neff is dying in an elevator bank. So uh, let's start with another Billy Wilder classic, Sunset Boulevard, another film noir classic as well. Uh, we'll do Sam Mendes' Oscar-winning American Beauty. And the Greg Hoblet, Denzel Washington favorite, Fallen. Sunset Boulevard, American Beauty, Fallen. Trash, star, destroy. Okay. I. Th-
1: this is going to be very difficult because I'm not going to star in Sunset Boulevard, which <laughs> feels sacrilegious or something to (laughs) trash or destroy that movie. Um, But I think I need to star in fallen because I still remember watching that movie whenever, whatever year that when I was 13 years old or whatever that came out, like one night, my family had gone to bed and I stayed up late to watch that movie and it spooked the shit out of me. Uh, I love the ending. It's such a great reveal. And I just want to work with Denzel. Now, what role am I taking? Maybe the killer. Um, what's his? Uh, 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 oh, it's like Eliza. Co- Elias
0: Cotillas. Yes, Cotias, Yeah, he's Casey Jones in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, Elias Elias Cottias, I believe is how Cotillas. he say his name. Yeah,
1: because I don't want to take Goodman's role. And that's
0: who I was thinking you were going to take
1: Donald Sutherland. Is that the other one? It's the three of them, I think. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I take Goodman's role, I'm working, like I'm really working with Denzel, like most of the movie. So maybe I do need to do that. I guess I'm taking Goodman's role. Sorry, John. Uh, Feel free to reach out. If, if you feel really hurt by it and I'd be happy to sit down and have a talk with you, John Goodman. But otherwise I'm taking that role that then I must, trash sunset boulevard because i can't give it to bay so wait what's left american beauty oh fuck yeah oh fuck yeah american beauty by michael bay 100 percent. i am so happy i came to that decision
0: yeah that's that is very tempting to have uh michael bay's uh, introspective look at suburban unhappiness Um mm-hmm. uh, I I think I have to trash it, though, because that is clearly not a film that holds up by (laughs) any means anymore. I mean, I almost Uh, started
1: it just to get spacey out of it, but it's still pretty gross. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) So I think I trashed that. Star in Sunset Boulevard. I'm taking the lead there. Uh, And yeah, uh, Michael Bay's Fallen, which I don't think is maybe the worst fate. I do think that movie does become a little less special. Uh, Like you, Brad, I saw it what in middle school when it came out and it floored me the end of that movie just threw me for a loop um and uh yeah i loved it so much but unfortunately michael bay will have to see what he can do if he can retain denzel on the cast i have i have faith that's a big step in the right direction yeah a
3: tool uh well first i'm trying to do some math to figure out how old both of you are um (laughs) middle school days if i just mid 30s <laughs> mid to late uh it doesn't matter okay here's uh i would like to work with denzel so again i'll take any any role i don't even care if again it could be one second role it could be whatever uh I, in those shows i was talking about i used to uh, i used to try to do a denzel impression and uh, uh it wouldn't go too far. And it was mo- usually just the left. And, uh, 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 uh. Okay. And I could only play, only thing I could do was say Jake. So any anytime I was a character on stage who was being Denzel, the other person automatically had to be Jake from training day. That's the only thing. Jake, Jake. Get my money, Jake. That's That's, that's, that that's, was, that's, that's it. Uh, uh, uh. All right. Uh, let's go. <laughs> okay. All right. You want to talk? All right. All right. Uh, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, then the next thing would be yes uh michael bay gets american beauty you have an issue with uh older man and a young starring lead perfect that's in his real <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> and then also i would say i would like to see a cgi bag floating around and that bag would be amazing maybe even a bigger character in the movie than it was already uh, so th- there there's some things he could work there um, that I think that would make it a true Michael Bay production.
0: Um, I would love his pass on the script. I would love to really read that.
3: Yeah, it would trim it down. Let's get it down. 60, <laughs> 70 pages max. Uh, then I would, yeah, for that reason, I would trash uh, Sunset Boulevard. Um, and then I, am I, was there a TV show also called Sunset something? And Studio got,
0: 60 on the Sunset Strip?
3: Here's, here's the connection I made. It was okay. Billy, uh, is uh, Ray Chandler, right, from Double Indemnity, and then I got Chandler stuck in my head, then Su- Sunset, and so I was like, oh, Chandler from Friends was on a TV show called Sunset.
0: Yes, is that, yeah, that is does, does Studio make... sixty on the Sunset Strip, the uh, oh. the Thirty Rock rival that didn't survive. Aaron Sorkin oh. show.
3: It was an Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> okay. All yeah, right. yeah, uh, yeah. So for no reason. Uh, But that connection, I've trashed it.
0: (laughs) Sorry to hear that. Perfectly viable. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be Chandler Bing in Sunset Boulevard. Uh, He was great in that movie. Yeah, it's the pictures that got small. He really was. He really was. Uh, That's how you play Trash Star Destroy. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back to dig into this movie a little more with Atul Singh, Double Indemnity, High on Film, coming back at you in just a second. Do you wish for another Billy Wilder insurance scam movie? Well, as of 1966, you can stop your wishing with The Fortune Cookie. Wilder teams with Jack Lemmon for the fourth time and pairs him with Walter Matthau in their first on-screen collaboration. Lemmon plays a photographer who gets plowed over by a football player. And in an Oscar-winning performance, Matthau plays his slippery lawyer, milking the mild injury for all it's worth. Because even in fiction, the Cleveland Browns can do nothing right. Some people will do anything for money. The fortune cookie. Not to be confused with Cookie's fortune.
2: To understand how they got to this point, victims of a brutal, vicious, over-the-top murder, it helps to know where they started. A modest two-bedroom apartment on the west side of Los Angeles. Hungry up-and-comers with one simple dream. To build... An empire.
1: Boy, with the first season of High On Film in the books,
0: it feels like we're on top of the world. It's so cool. You know what's cooler than one podcast? Two podcasts. Is it? Yes, Brad. We're going to do something that's never been done before. A radio play. Wow. What's that? It's like a movie, but only the
2: sound. And people want that? Uh, More than anything.
0: Or at least... They will when they find out about it.
2: And with that unearned confidence, their second podcast was launched into the world.
0: All right, guys, we're going to start digging into this film here uh, pretty deep because we're going to get into some scene work. Uh, We're an optimistic podcast, so we're going to start things off optimistically with... Mm -hmm. Best Scene. What's the best scene in Double Indemnity? Uh, We're going to do this in a a ranking, a 3-2-1, as far as your top three best scenes. Brad, you want to kick it off?
1: Absolutely. I think the number three scene in the movie is when uh, Walter Neff is called to Keyes' office. And as he's walking in, Jackson, uh, mr jackson or whatever his name is the guy from the train is sitting outside and as he walks in he says the last
0: man i wanted to see and yeah, he walk- so pretty yeah like three quarters of the way through the movie the crime has already been committed and Keyes uh unknowingly surprises neff by having jackson outside the office the man who was on the back of the train
1: and uh neff goes in and Keys basically lays out what he thinks happened, which is exactly what happened. He nailed it perfectly. <laughs> and then brings Jackson in, and the suspense of Jackson being in the room with Neff, having Neff having b- pretended to be um, uh, the, the husband, I can't think of the name now, uh, on the train. Would, Diedrickson. Yes, Diedrickson, Diedrickson. Would make you think he could recognize him. So the tension of them just in the office together is palpable. Uh yeah, it's, there's a terrific scene.
3: There's a moment where even he turns his back to him Neff does and I think and then he slowly moves to the other side and that's when the guy starts looking and is like you're the Nefs from Oregon. And,
1: right. Uh, he starts questioning him about how he rec- like I think I recognize you from somewhere. Without saying I recognize you from somewhere.
0: Right.
3: Like, I don't think that phrase is in there, which is great. I was like, oh, you're just kind of showing me how you're doing it instead of like walking me through every single thought process.
0: yeah hold your hand
1: through it. Uh, number two for me is the basically the whole setup of the murder the paper and the bells him him setting up his alibi, him going down the back steps like that whole sequence of basically the murder uh, is great is smart shows you how they break it all down really. I love seeing somebody try to pull off the perfect murder and thinking that they can do it because they almost
0: never can in the movies. Yeah, in real life, you can pull it off all the time. Putting the cards in the bells is super clever to know if anyone calls or or rings his bell at home. Making sure the guy who's washing his car sees him twice—really great. Getting the call back from his coworker answering like whatever question he needed answered was great. Like to really solidify his alibi, which I—I mean, it's so. Important for Keys to not suspect Neff the whole time. It's it's a yeah. wonderful setup because he left his rape
3: book at the office so he could make that call to his colleague and get the data he needed. So it was all yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, oh. the,
1: there's also the murder where then you see you don't even see it happen. You just hear it and you see the close up on her face in the driver's seat with like this insane stare that looks yeah. chilling. Yes,
3: that was. They did that I think a couple times where they did something where they didn't really show it and I was like that's awesome. It's it's just great. Yeah, the the her eyes were good. You know, like if you watch her eyes in that scene where she's driving. There it's not big and like, oh my god, they just killed a person next to me. It's very subtle and I was just like, "Oh, that's that's not how I would act it. I would have done it much much bigger." <laughs>
0: You know, made a noise like oh because <laughs> <laughs> it's not, well, she's a, sorry go ahead uh, she's a stone cold killer <laughs> and there's
1: not surprise it's not a look of like surprise or shock on her face it's almost uh, thrill like she's there's a thrilling element to it almost it seems to excite her Um, which is even more messed up Which feeds
3: into the information you learn later, or I think it's later, about her past. So then you're like,
0: oh... Yeah, about Lola's mom. Oh, yeah. You've been down this path before.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And number one, Brad? Uh, The number one
1: scene for me is when Keys shows up at Walter's apartment. Which, Mm -hmm. obviously, I'm a big Keys fan in this movie. I think that character is... First of all, we've already said how good Edward G. Robinson is in the role, but it's such a perfect foil character to Neff. It's like his best friend who's the best at figuring out insurance scams, who you know basically backs him up at the end and says, like, I'll vouch for this guy, unlike I've ever vouched for anyone before, whatever he says. But when Neff finally thinks he's in the clear, when he's been like, I have this horrible feeling, he finally thinks he's in the clear, and Keys shows up at his apartment right when he's just talked to uh, Diedrich, uh, Mrs. Diedrichson to come over. She's nearby. So come on over. And now keys walks in. He's like the broken leg. If he had a, if he knew he had a insurance policy, why wouldn't he have filed it with the broken leg? And just now he's onto it. And now this tense, the tension of will she show up while keys is there? And then she does, and she's outside the door and they go out and she's behind the door in the hallway and keys is at the elevator and walking up and like, you think he's leaving. And then he walks back again to get them to get the match for a cigar. And the tension around that scene was crazy. And I thought it was so well done.
0: With Phyllis, uh, we should mention the great Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, she's coming up to see to see Walter. And as soon as you hear the knock on the door and it's and it's keys, I mean, it just starts a ticking clock that is so tense and it's it's absolutely wonderful. I agree with you. Because yeah. you want
3: you want to say, like, oh, just text her not to come. <laughs> right. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nope. Can't do that.
1: Well, particularly yeah. when it feels like a mistake in the first place for them to be with each other at this point. Like you should just be like, Hey, we can't see each other for a couple months and we'll, you know, we'll find each other, you know, somewhere down the road. But for like, for her to be coming over already feels like they're too cocky. And then when keys shows up, it's just brilliantly constructed.
3: Yeah. This is something that earlier in the movie, and this is like, you know, you watch movies, you notice like some issues in production or whatever. And I was like, Oh, it's weird. His, his house door opens out. And that's actually not good. You're supposed to have a house door that opens in. And I remember telling hmm. it to my wife. And then in that scene, it's crucial that that door opens out to the outside. And, you know, and she, the way in that scene, the way she tugs at it, just for a little to let him know. And you can, again, watch his face. It's very nicely done. He gets it. But he doesn't like there's no over-the-top reaction. He knows she's there. He knows exactly what's happening. And I just thought that moment in that whole sequence was like, and why did I, like, I, sometimes when I watch a movie where we're rooting for bad guys, I'm like, oh, that's not healthy. And then <laughs> when, she, when she tugged and he realized, I was like, oh, thank God. And I was oh, like, thank oh. God they're
1: going to get away with this murder.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, well, but it was,
3: it was very satisfying.
0: I mean, part of it is, uh, I mean, Frederick McBurray does such a great job in this performance as Walter Neff and the script is so well justified. I love his speech where he goes, you know, I do this job and you have to think about all the ways that someone could cheat it. And you just slips in your mind that maybe you could do it better. And it makes it so relatable, like how how thin that line is of like, You know, it reminds me of like the phrase, like locks keep honest people honest, right? So it's like, of course, a master lock's not going to keep you out if you really need to get in there, but it's there to keep you, you have to go put forth that extra effort. And to see Fred McMurray tackle that thin line of, I'm an honest man, I'm a good man, I'm an insurance salesman who's done this for, what is it, 11 years. And then just for the situation to just be just right, that it's too irresistible, and he just falls into that trap is is a wonderful, wonderfully written uh, plot. Atul, do you have a top three scenes for us?
3: Yes, uh, I'm going to start with the uh, uh, the speech uh, again. The housekeeper, again, it's very short. I <laughs> thought it was great. I think she has like an attitude. She's great. She like gets, and then she's like a slight plot point uh, later when she, uh, Phyllis is, you know, informing Walter that you know maybe there's something more. When she says, "Oh, the housekeeper has the day off today," um, so yeah, I, I thought I like I like those moments where it's not too much, but it's just great. And this character actor or this actor who's got a day role or whatever just nails their part and uh, gives me some more environment to to work off of. Uh, I actually had written down the murder, so right exactly the car ride um, and then just cutting over to her camera. And sometimes I feel like. Uh, when you're working on these things in either script or movie production, whatever, you can take some of the hassle out of your work by being like, okay, now we have to show this really weird thing. And we're like, what if we just show the reaction to it? And it's, it's, it's great. I like that. So the murder scene.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's a, like. Sometimes you, the imagination is. Your imagination can play more on it than actually seeing it, like seeing, especially in 44, like watching him strangle the guy would probably look a little, I mean, it could look terrifying, but it could also look a little
0: cheesy or just not as like, you know, probably against code. Actually, I don't know if they'd actually been able to show as gruesome a strangling as they as it would be from the backseat of a car.
1: And the and I did want to mention too. I love also the triggering of like she's turning off the road, like where are you going and the honking of the horn to trigger him to sit to let him know that it's time to time to do a little strangling. Uh, so uh, so <laughs> great, a strangling. time to do a little strangling. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but yes, I just wanted to mention that.
3: No, please. It's a uh, and the last scene was. Um, I thought this movie at no point was I like uh, what time is it? Uh, what are we doing? Like. From the get go, I was like, "What? Oh, oh!" And so his starting monologue, when he comes into his office, uh, and sidebar lighting that match that way,
0: blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. What kind of fingernails does Frederick Murray have on him to just light it with his thumbnail like that? And he and do it
3: like seven, eight times in the movie, and it's you know it comes back again to that hallway scene where he does it for uh, the Keys character it's a tough thing to do. I, I don't think I can do it. There's, there's been times in the past where I've had a lighter and I try to learn like quick, cool ways to light Die Hard. Uh, I think when he smoked in Die Hard, I was like, Oh, that's, is that the coolest thing in the world to smoke? And He, <laughs> and he, he, he lights it in the little shaft and it just looks cool. And there's a, there's a very specific way uh, that I like have like not cousins, but like people in India sometimes light a, a match in a way that, where they cup it as well, and so it's a two-hand light, and then the match stays lit in the cupping of their hands, and that way the wind is blocked. And you and I always like that's very cool. And I would try it; I would burn my hand, and <laughs> that's exactly what I thought of when he did that. But he, I believe, in the start, it's almost one take for a long time from the from the point he sits down till he explains a lot of stuff when he starts recording, uh, which I didn't know what that device was until he started using it. Um, but, but I thought it was, I think, I don't even think they zoom in. Like, I think they just sit on him and he just takes his time. And I, I was, I was in,
1: I didn't write down what, like any of the lines from it, but that opening monologue is so good. And so perfectly sets you into a noir of just like quippy, quick line dialogue that he just boom, 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 just fires through that opening monologue is terrific. It is so well-written.
0: So, yeah, great just choice. Yeah, it speaks into the dictaphone, yeah. Um. Boy, guys, it's, this is crazy. I mean, this movie is so good. I, we all have fairly different things. I mean, there's some overlap, but you'll see here. My number three is actually uh, the scene you mentioned earlier, Atul, with Edward G. Robinson when he goes through the actuarials and he goes through um, all the suicide stats and he is hammering away against his higher up saying like have you even done the research like because of course he wants to disavow this incredibly huge claim and the performance that edward g robinson just gives in that scene is just put me on my ass it was so good when he just goes suicide by this by race by location by you know all kinds of stats just starts rolling those out to prove him wrong is just Outstanding! I I love it, and then he ends it with just chugging a full glass of water. Uh, I just I, I really enjoyed that scene. Well, and I had to... oh sorry sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Oh no,
1: I was just gonna say particularly when you enter that scene thinking Keys is gonna go against Neff, like that's the person you're worried about, and he delivers an entire argument in his favor.
0: Yeah, well you know Keys is their the hardest uh, investigating guy, so you're just waiting for that shoe to drop. And I and
3: that was the point where I was like, "Oh, we're we're scot free. We're good. Hey, team,
0: good yeah. job. We're all
3: good. Let's have pie tonight. Let's go.
0: Yeah, movie's over. They got away with it. Let's go eat popcorn. Yeah, we fooled keys. We did it. Uh, number two, yeah, uh, the murder. Um, but I'm actually going to focus on after the murder and actually the setup for the body. I think is so good. The tension on the train is so high strung. Um, just because you keep getting those unexpected MacGuffins, like the rider out back when he gets out of there. And then he has to keep his back to him and get him out of there. So he asks for the cigarette case um, and then he jumps off and then the car won't start when he gets in the car with Barbara Stanwyck again. And, you know, it means nothing, but it just it makes your heart stop for that couple of moments. And it's just so good. I, I just, I, I drool over those scenes. Um, uh, the
3: car not starting was uh, again. They got me because I was like, "Oh, this is where it turns." Okay, got caught. All right. Well, it was bound to happen. Done. Here we go. So <laughs> I was like, and then I started like, "Okay, the cops will get here. Uh, the body will be found." And then the cops will, and I, and then it starts. And I was like, "Oh, why are you little, you little crazy little things, You're getting away with it again." <laughs>
1: And another perfect example of rooting for the bad guy. Like uh, when it started, I was like, oh, thank God. Great. Now they can get away with murdering this innocent guy. Perfect. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, And number one for me um, is Fred McMurray. He's so damn smooth. He's so damn good in his performance. Um, Like you said, the opening monologue is just perfect into the dictaphone. And I'd say all the way through his first scene with Barbara Stanwyck, Um, Phyllis when they're verbally sparring like suppose I was a cop on a motorcycle oh suppose you wrote me a ticket and I gave you a kiss suppose you gave my husband a kiss or whatever like it's just it's not that uh, it's more clever than what I just did but it's so good and their their chemistry off one another and the the pacing is spot on it's like it's a it's a more high stakes his girl Friday like that's how tight that dialogue is
1: yeah, like, uh, I got you for going over the speed limit on that one. Like, he hits on her, and then that's how it rolls into this whole, uh, you know, metaphor of, you know, getting pulled over by the cops. It's terrific. You're right.
0: It, yeah. If there's a best scene, it must mean there's a worse scene. What's the worst scene in Double Indemnity? We'll do the same thing. Three, two, one. And I have a feeling it's going to be Slim Pickens.
1: I have three, but it's it's tough. I mean I'm nitpicking for sure. Uh, All right. number three is the scene when we meet Nino when Murray <laughs> drives uh, Lily uh, Lola Lola, sorry uh, to drop her off and we meet Nino and it's so obvious that he plays a role later on in the movie because we hear his name said six or seven times in a matter a matter of 30 seconds. So I was like, okay, I guess he's going to come up again later on. Uh, seemed pretty obvious. Uh, number two for me is the fact that the body, the dead body they find, they're like, yeah, broken neck. Like, have this too. <laughs> it would be very obvious to anybody, even I assume in 1944, that somebody was strangled and didn't fall off the back of a train and broke their neck just me maybe they weren't as medically advanced back then but <laughs> yeah. there's had a really lazy forensics department i mean it it feels like that should have been pretty obvious to anybody even in 40 yeah
3: maybe he did break his neck but that's why they didn't show it like he didn't strain yeah him.
0: he yeah <laughs> he twisted his neck from the back seat maybe
1: steven know. small yeah.
0: style <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah or they just have a terrible coroner in la you know who knows can't perform a proper autopsy.
1: And number one is there's a couple times where it's particularly when they get uh, Mr. Diedrichson to sign the contract and they trick him and they both like kind of what you were saying, Atul, every, they play it so uh, subtle in so many other times, but there's this over the top moment of uh, Phyllis and Walter looking at each other when he's signing the contract and give like these big eyes, like he's doing it, he's doing it. And then. When they are when they finally sign the contracts, the husband goes upstairs and they have this long conversation outside the door about, which the dialogue in it's good, but the fact that they're like talking about, oh yeah, we got him to do it, like right outside their front door, seems like setting themselves up for a disaster. Like they don't get caught or anything really, but it doesn't feel like they're being, and it happens a couple of times like at the market as well, where for two people who just committed
0: a murder, you're not being careful enough. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Atul, do you have three? Do you have three yeah. things you can complain about? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is You're right.
3: It's I bought it all. They, finding three scenes in here that were not uh, worse or the bad or whatever, it was very difficult because I was entertained throughout. And I didn't think anything was like, that was unnecessary. Um, everything was kind of there for a purpose. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop at bottom, uh, the bottom third or whatever the last one. Um, Number three. The grocery store. Yes, <laughs> the not the top third, not the top two third That's where I'm going to start. Um, was the the grocery store because, and later on when she's being followed and you see a guy follow her and she comes into the grocery store. I guess the grocery store. The main thing that annoyed me was the low levels of shelves, which I'm sure that's just how society was. And I was like, why? In my in my head, I was like, why aren't grocery stores like that anymore? It'd be great if I could just stand up and just view. Over multiple aisles and just down like 10 aisles, I could see everything. And then I realized like they can store more shit if the aisles, <laughs> are, they're,
0: yeah, they're bigger. So, uh,
3: but you I gotta yeah. think of
0: it like a 7 Eleven, you can see over the aisles in the 7 Eleven,
3: yeah. Oh, that's a good, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Tony, yeah, not oh, Tony, gosh,
0: Nino, Nino,
3: Nino, yeah, that first scene of him is super aggressive, and I do like. The background that Lola gives on Nino, which is like he's a USC med dropout, something else happens to him. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I've heard that story in the last six months in this town. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic, washed up LA person, and it was great. I was like, um, very nice. I, I thought, but him, him, I was just like, why are Fowles Walters like, why, why are you so angry? What is happening right now? And then <laughs> yeah.
0: Byron Barr, the actor there.
3: Byron Barr, classic. Um, then uh, Norton. Norton, the office meeting with Norton. I did find Norton to be the yeah, the the weakest link in the probably the entire cast. Uh, that scene, it was pivotal. And I think, I don't know, something about Norton just rubbed. I, I love that kind of role. I would love to play like just a spoiled kid who's inherited the company and just thinks he knows everything about it. And, uh, you know, hasn't really worked for it, like somebody like Keyes has, who's done the research. But I just thought his his performance was just a little weird, and uh, and I didn't care for it. So I was like, and again, this is, it was just mine. And this is forcing me to pick three. Oh, That's yes. One. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I, it was, I was thinking about, well, probably like two thirds of the way through the movie, I was like, I don't think that scene's come yet. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to find anything better. And so it was just like going back and trying to find something that maybe at one point I was like, "Eh." and it was it was Norton.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, a a fantastic movie should have won Best Picture in 1944. But alas, here we are. I think it does go without saying this is a pretty damn perfect movie. My three are real small things. Um, I guess my three is that Phyllis falls in love with him after shooting him at the end. Where while I like the romance of the situation that they set up, I like that she's like, I fell in love with you. That's why I couldn't shoot you again to kill you, um, which essentially dooms her to death. Um, I just thought it was a weird choice.
1: A little unearned. Yeah, yeah a
0: little unearned, especially because she's been so heartless the whole time. She's been manipulating everybody for years now. So for her to suddenly be like, oh, you know what? Maybe Walter Neff is a charmer and I could love him. Like and I'm Yeah, yeah.
3: When, when you have uh, a gun, when you have a gun in your hand, is when you really find out who you love.
0: <laughs> yes, that should be crocheted yeah. on a pillow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is that is an important piece of Americana. Number two for me is that why doesn't Walter Neff kick Lola out of his car immediately? He's setting up a mur- the murder of her dad. With her stepmom, she's in his car when he leaves the house. And she's like, oh, I just thought you could give me a ride. He has, to, I would be like, no, no, no. Underage girl, get out of my car. I am not sneaking around your parents. I mean, un, more than I already am. <laughs> like, I, I just think it's a sloppy move that he should have known better. Uh, and number two for me is, is the one you said already, Brad, that the body is presumably strangled and then left on the train tracks and no one picks that up in all the investigation that goes on. But Atul you're right maybe they just uh, give him a quick neck snap although i think the sound design suggests otherwise. And then I, I think also, you hear more of a ah, than a <laughs> Yeah, that's true.
3: That's true. The the foiling team was not uh not equipped to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was your is that your number 1 or number 2, Chris? that's number your, one that's that number. number two was why does walter neff let lola in his car okay. to begin with and three was the falling in love between gunshots well guys it's time for america's number one podcast game <laughs> it's time for milking it uh one of our favorite games on the show to play where you're going to roll out the big computer of hollywood ideas 2000 here momentarily and it will uh, give us an analyzed printout of what we're each going to accomplish in this game, which is create three brand new blockbuster movies for the viewing audience to enjoy to make the studio system a billion more dollars. It'll supply us with each of us with two pieces of information one will be a pitch length, which will be an elevator pitch, which will allow you 30 seconds, a water cooler pitch, which will give you one American minute and a boardroom pitch which will be a minute 30 to get out your idea uh, the second piece of information it'll give you will be the basis of that idea uh, a genre prequel sequel actor or director card uh, for you to reimagine double indemnity either in that new genre as uh, its predecessor or precursor or a movie made by a certain director or starring a certain actor Capiche makes sense got it <laughs> All right, got the read out here, guys. Uh oh, I'm first up with the elevator pitch, 30 seconds, and I will be doing Double Indemnity starring Tom Hanks. So that's <laughs> exciting uh brad it's got you next for the water cooler pitch
1: that is correct and one minute for you and i am doing a creature
0: feature oh very interesting yes a little late one week late for halloween but we'll take it uh and a tool boardroom pitch minute 30 seconds
3: and i'm gonna be uh looks like i'm gonna be doing turning double indemnity into a biography
0: Hmm. all right Double Indemnity into a biography. Yes, yes. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, We're going to take a few minutes to gather our thoughts, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment. And we're back right in the middle of milking it for Double Indemnity. I'm up first with my 30-second elevator pitch for Double Indemnity starring Tom Hanks. So here we go. All right, uh, we're remaking the classic uh, built an audience already. It's double indemnity, but this time we got Tom Hanks. He's Walter Neff, uh, the up-and-coming insurance agent at a huge insurance for- firm. Uh, as he expands his territory, he finds he infringes on a small Dietrichson family insurance company. He ends up falling for Miss, uh, Mr. Dietrichson's wife, Phyllis, Meg Ryan in this film, of course. Uh, they end up to plot uh, to kill her husband and collect big while helping Hanks' insurance giant gain ground. It's a rom-com caper called Covered.
1: Good, good title.
0: That's a Thank good, you. Cover. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't
3: I haven't seen it, and
0: I I can tell you Tom Hanks is great. <laughs> oh yeah, he's, he's a fantastic performance. His Brilliant. chemistry with Meg Ryan hasn't missed a beat. Yeah, And he's so likable. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the the reason it works is Walter Neff. You you want to side with him? You want to believe him? Uh, Brad, you're up next with the water cooler pitch. One American minute coming up on the clock. Okay, for a creature feature. All right, you ready, sir? I am. Go right ahead.
1: Walter works at a lab and with his best friend, and his pet project behind the scenes without anybody knowing has been creating a love of his life, because he is a very lonely man. So he creates this woman um, who comes to life, and she is initially perfect. Like, the perfect woman, exactly what... Uh, He dreamed she would be Uh, and as their relationship grows so does her understanding of being human and why she was created Um, and she only loves Walter because she was programmed that way so as her anger grows and as her understanding grows so does her brain so does her heart and eventually her body until she is a huge figure that's terrorizing the city and of course Walter in the end has to be the one to kill his creation. Uh, In the movie, Double the Heart.
3: Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Double the Heart. That's very nice.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Almost a little uh, Frankenstein holdover. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Believe (laughs) me, it didn't start, like, as I started doing it, I was like, okay, yeah. And
0: I was like, I'm doing Frankenstein. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after two weeks of Frankenstein movies, who can blame you? (laughs) Just In my subconscious. Okay, Atul, you, you get the executive, the boardroom pitch, 90 seconds for your biography. You ready? Let's do this. All right. Away you go.
3: Thanks, everybody, for having me at this boardroom meeting. I just want to tell you about my project. First of all, the first big question I have to ask is, who wants to make money? All right, great. Everybody here does. And do you like Ken Burns? Do you like documentaries? What do you want you want a story that's more sexy? Well, I got a story for you. All right. A story about a statistician. All right. His name is Keyes. <laughs> All right. We go into his life. We find out how he's worked his way up through the days, through the years to become the best statistician actuarian at this company, an insurance company. Sure. You're like, insurance is not sexy. Let me tell you something. Insurance is very sexy. All right. And we follow this character and we go through his days and we go specifically into one of his months, just one of his rare regular months where he is, he is working and he meets some of his colleagues and maybe some of his colleagues are up to nefarious things. And so we follow him. We use his mind to figure out how he turns left and right, how he's duped at times. But then he comes back and finds out what the truth is. And the truth always wins. And that's that's what you're going to get if you sign on to this project. All right. That's what we're going to get for. All right. The name that we are going with right now, we have a couple of names up in the air. One is Keys to Insurance. All right. One is Keys to Two success, and one is Keys of Van Nuys, which is where it's based. <laughs> uh, this is a, a man's journey to catch criminals and lower your insurance costs.
0: I like that. Keys, keys, keys on Van Nuys. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, that got me really good. Yeah. Uh, very good. Very good.
3: It's a local reference, but if you wanted to find out about it, you can definitely find out about it. Absolutely.
0: We're an LA based podcast. I think plenty of our listeners will, uh, will get that. (laughs) Well, guys, I think we just sold three more movies to the studio system. I really do. I agree. Great job. Yeah. Uh, well guys, this is the last segment. Atul Singh, you just watched Double Indemnity. What are you going to do next? Uh, today
3: uh, I'm going to watch some college football personally. And then, uh, if you wanted to, you could, uh, follow me on, uh, any of the social media. Uh, at a tool time A-T-U-L-T-I-M-E. it's a world reference to a sh- TV show that's uh, not on anymore with Tim Allen but uh, also <laughs> i know a couple a couple weeks ago a couple weeks ago you might you had Jen Murray on and I have a little spot in her pilot that she put out so if you want you can also see me there as playing one of her high school friends so definitely check that out
0: absolutely well thanks so much for being here buddy appreciate it
3: this is great thank you for exposing me to this. Uh, and I'm gonna definitely follow up with
0: all the movies that I didn't see, and
3: I'm gonna I'm gonna look up Ben Crosby and Going My Way. Oh,
0: don't don't watch Going My Way. Don't go, don't watch Going My Way. The the best thing about it is, um, what does this say? Uh, singing on a star. That song comes from that movie, and it won Best Original Song that year. Singing on the rain or singing on the star. But, uh, singing on a star. Swinging on a star. Singing on a star. Oh, okay, it must be singing on a star. Yeah, so, like I. Th- I think it's the one from um, Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis, actually. Oh, that classic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad Davis, you just watched Double Indemnity. What are you going to do next? I need to uh, watch some
1: more Billy Wilder. I've seen a decent amount of his films, but the one I haven't seen is The Lost Weekend uh, with Ray Milland, who I love from Dial M for Murder, the Hitchcock
0: movie. Uh, So I am going to plan to watch that. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, And I will say, uh, speaking of Hitchcock, one of the other few screenplays Raymond Chandler wrote was Strangers on a Train. Oh, damn! yeah. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some good things. Not Uh, too shabby. Yeah. Chris, you just watched Double Indemnity. What are you going to do next? Brad, uh, almost the same as you. I want to get through Billy Wilder's filmography. I love this guy so much. I've seen seven of his movies. I love them all. I think I only have 18 to go. So, uh,
1: <laughs> so many of those movies are absolute classics. Yeah. Bartman.
0: Uh, uh, Witness for the Prosecution. Right. Some Like It Hot. Some Like 70 It hot. Itch, Sabrina. Stalag 79? 17? I don't remember what that one's called. One of those numbers. Uh, yeah, one of those. I, I also would like to see this house. I would like to see the Dietrich's house one day. I'm going to drive up there and see it. Snap a pic. Um, I also want to tell people, hey, tune in next week. We're watching Chinatown for our uh, continuation of Noir Vember, another big influence on Death at Sunset, which season two, your trailer hits Friday. And the Friday after that, Friday the 13th, episode one will be out. Death at Sunset, episode one on November 13th, Friday? That's, that's right, Brad. Season two of Death at Sunset, episode one, Friday, November tw- 13th, 2020. It's hitting everywhere you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please. Rate and review that wherever you listen to your shows.
3: My headphones just went out. Did you say Friday the 13th? i
0: the sunset coming out? That I impressed. did, I did. My headphones are working. You've got it, guys. <laughs> uh, you could. Can... <laughs> Good. I'm glad we worked out those technical issues. You can follow Brad and myself at Cross Maxwell and at BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. And that's the show. Thank you guys so much, Atul. Brad, thank you as always. I appreciate it. A can pleasure. You
3: me Sorry. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can you just say your socials again? Sorry. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> at Cross Maxwell, that's Chris with an O in place of the I, and at BD Always GP.
3: Oh, man, Maxwell. What?
0: <laughs> yeah, they're purposely confusing. Don't worry.
3: <laughs> gd Yeah, right.
0: bd brad davis always oh. gp gangsta's paradise no it's not it definitely no, not. is it absolutely is it's cool yeah always cool
3: uh it's always cool yeah. got it got it and yeah. cross cross okay great sorry
0: about that do you want to end it again that way i don't fuck it up <laughs> sure sure yeah atul brad thank you so much uh appreciate you guys doing the show brad as always And listeners, we love you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Alright, it's been out for an hour. Let's check iTunes for any reviews. And remember, it's still called iTunes and not Apple Podcasts because it's 2016. Well, nothing yet. Hit refresh. Hit refresh again. Oh, there's one. From... Farts for Sale 58008, who says, Die, Wieners. I think that's German for the hot dogs. I think it's English. Refresh again. Oh, here's another one. This time from a supportive podcast mom. She says, These boys are so talented and sweet. I've been a big fan for many years. Winky face. Can't wait to see them on Ellen someday. And she tagged Ellen. That's a good one. Brad. It's my mom. still good.
2: They didn't realize it then, but few people listened to a podcast the first hour it's released. After a week, Death at Sunset was topping podcast charts everywhere. After a month, it was translated into 15 different languages. In 90 days, they had a major studio deal. They had done the impossible. Made money off podcasting. But, with great success comes great responsibility. More on that next time, on Murder Case.
0: High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram, or email the show at Show at gmail.com. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. And a special thanks to Carly Walsh for lending her voice to this episode.